Hello, and welcome to a special episode of Mr. Suitcase, Mr. Suitcase number 27. Uh, and tonight, I am joined by a co-host, not an interviewee, but a co-host. And my co-host is none other than uh, Jack from North Carolina. Yes, that's right, ladies and gentlemen, the most hated man in magic. And you know, Eric, I would like to say that I'm also the most handsome man in magic, but I mean, Brian Kibler needs some claim to fame, surely. <coughs> Uh, I will go nowhere near your handsomeness, nor 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 any of those other debates. No, really, really, it's it's okay for you to marvel in my beauty. I mean, many other people do on a regular basis. But we, this, I'm I've heard vague rumblings that this is actually not just a show to feed my ego, but a show about Magic the Gathering. Is that true, Eric? It is a show about Magic the Gathering, and uh, since since we're getting together and we both uh, have a passion for EDH, um, I thought. Today's show would be a great time to talk about a subject that you expressed some interest in, which is what people think about blue and EDH and why they hold those opinions. And I think it's really, you know, there's a lot of, obviously, no matter what we say tonight, people are still going to walk away and say that blue is the most broken color in EDH. But honestly, I think there's enough of... Uh, enough of a collection of valid points on both sides of the argument, because even though blue is one of those colors that is great at a lot of things and is definitely not weak at many of them, it's still not absolutely over-the-top broken in a format that is essentially like a monster truck rally. There's always going to be something that the other people at the the table, other than the blue mage, can do that is more broken than what he can pull out of his hat. Well, and so I'm going to say I don't think you can ever win the argument that blue is not the most broken color in any given format that is as deep as EDH or Legacy or any of those, right? Because blue's card pool is is what it is. I mean, it has the cards. Well, it also has if you if you just want to talk about variety right off the bat, I think blue has stronger and stranger cards than any other card in the format. Let's go with, like, really strong colors in EDH, okay? Um, let's say green. Green recently got Council of the Praetors, right? Yeah. Which a lot of people are calling the green Yawgmoth's will, and I completely think that that argument is founded, and I'm very surprised that that card's not seen vintage play already. Okay, that's an awesome green card. Uh, blue has had this card called Mind's Desire for a very long time, and whereas the other colors have, I think, game... Game state changing and game swinging cards. Blue has game ending cards, and that's what gives it its strength. When a blue cards, a blue card or card, excuse me, since I'm slurring my words already this early in the evening, when a blue card lands on the table, it makes an immediate impact, and sometimes it's irrevocable. I think it's beyond uh, the cards that actually have to hit the table, though. Uh, I, I think that what gives blue a large part of its uh, Power there is is the demographic that it's it's been designed for. Um, back in the I don't know maybe a year and a half ago now, uh, Pat Chapin uh, addressed uh, Benny Smith, who who is usually whining about how blue is better than green, um, and 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 where Pat was talking about it is that that green is meant to hit a different magic psychographic than blue is. Um, and, and I think that is very much the truth. I mean, part of the reason why blue is so powerful is if you just want to go straight card draw and and deny other people their right to do things, um, I mean, this is what blue does best. So what you're telling me is that blue is actually designed for dads. Yes, it is. Like it is the really, dad really of magic awkward dads. It's it's designed to say to say no. And to always, always seem to have the upper hand, yes. And to believe in you. And to encourage you to go farther than you've ever gone before. Exactly. Now, I mean, the thing is, though, obviously blue doesn't have to be treated that way. But, I mean, uh, someone sits down with Arkham Daxum, okay, to play a casual game of ADH. What's the first person that, per- that uh, what's the first thing that person says? Hmm. Let's see what I can tutor up. No. The first person that the first thing that person says is, "Oh, my deck isn't built to be obnoxious." <laughs> right? I, I mean, that's a very good point. Actually, I didn't think of that. Right? Okay. Now, so list off the blue generals, the mono blue generals that see a lot of play. 
the zombie fit. comes immediately to mind, along zombie. with the fairy. Arkham Daxum, you know, these power generals. And the first thing one of these guys says when they're sitting down to play casual is, oh, no, my deck's not built to abuse it. Well, let's talk about a zombie there for a minute. Let's say your deck is not built to abuse a zombie. A zombie I, still draws you cards. See, that that's exactly the point. Blue, that's what I was trying to say. Blue just has these cards that even if you think they're not built to be obnoxious, they can still be abused. And the propensity for abusing they, those cards is just too tempting sometimes. I will sit down and argue with anybody that I think a zombie is one of the most powerful card draw engines in the game. Or the format, I should say. Yeah, w- without a doubt. And and although you can build that deck not to really abuse it, I played uh, I played a couple EDH games this past weekend, and Azami was one of the generals in the game. And I will say that the guy, he didn't overly abuse it. You know, it wasn't completely obnoxious. But no matter what, his deck was at the center of the game. He was the big bad from shortly from the beginning. And if someone else looked like they were the big bad and then had something done to them, then he was the big bad again because he always had a full grip. He, you know, he was always, you know, always had the ability to say no. You know, so now there, there are some things that, you know, play into that. Like, for instance, um, I played Mind Slaver and... It was obvious that the guy who was going to put me out was not not the zombie guy, so it obviously resolved. Now, I need to take care of the other guy because otherwise he would have put me out. So, right. you know, I, I targeted him with a mind slaver. But I mean, the reason why I got it in is he 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 let it resolve. I was able to resolve my uh, in a separate game. I was able to resolve uh, lightning greaves because I led with uh, Luxon Warhammer. And he countered Luxon Warhammer and didn't have the follow-up counter spell, even though he had mana open for the Lightning Greaves. So, you know, so I, I got lucky there that he bit on the test spell. <laughs> but, and that he didn't have another counter in his hand. So, well, let me ask you this. Do you think also... When it comes to very casual ADH like that, do you think it's more people will go ahead and put that blue mage at the part where he is going to be the big bad, and you get, like basically he is setting the pace of the game, or do you think it's something that uh, a role that develops as the pace of the game goes on? I mean, personally, I think what gives blue so much strength in casual magic is the fact that it just has more raw card advantage than any other color. And do you think that it's if a uh, a deck is built to abuse that, that they're always going to be the big bad guy, or is it just something that they slowly have to walk into? Or are they always going to be that guy at the table? Simply because, like you said, you might have been getting ready to take somebody else out, but you still had to wait to see if your stuff could resolve. Uh, there's a couple things, right? I, I think it has to go back to start up, who builds a blue deck? You go by and you go, who who is the guy who builds the blue deck? You know, it's not just... Anybody, right? It's a guy who's who's an utter dickbag. Ninety percent of no, the time, it has to. That be is, it's just that. Um, but it's someone who has experience playing with counter spells. It's someone who has probably a little more rules savvy knowledge. It's right. someone who's probably been playing for a little bit longer. And if he hasn't been playing for a little bit longer than that, or then he or she is probably someone who has played in tournaments. Right. You know. Because you, you know, a lot of your your folks who are who are you know playing the other colors, you know they're looking for the more casual experience. They don't have the interest. Now, now, granted, that doesn't mean everyone who's playing other colors is casual or isn't competitive, etc. But the people who who want to play a blue deck, for the most part, I mean, you're drawn to this color for a reason. You're drawn to this general these generals for a reason. What is your reason? Well, I mean, you're looking for card advantage. You're looking for these things, and you probably know how to exploit most of them. And, and, and so that lends to some of it right there. So you already have someone who has some built-up play skill already at the table. So, I mean, that plays into it. Because obviously, you know, what makes someone worthy of attack and worthy of being the big bad partially has to do with their ability to play the game. 
You, right. I, when you mess up technically over and over and over again, you you give away opportunities and and life slips by. You know, your ability to influence the game slips by. Um, I, I know I make enough technical mistakes that. Um, Playing against really competent players, you know, I'm I'm never going to be the big bad. Sure. Eric, you'll always be the big bad in my heart. There, I'm glad to hear it. <laughs> so, I, I mean, I, I think that's the root of it. I mean, I, I think that's where where it starts, and then you can look at the card quality and what blue as a color is pushing you to try to get to. So what you're saying is that it's almost a color that just encourages not necessarily combo-centric play, but just smarter, tighter play. Yes. And here we are, Mr. Suitcase, stating the obvious, I think. Well, I mean, now things change. Like, I haven't, I haven't played in EDH games more than three or four people. So, you know, the question comes into what is the reach of the blue player? You know... Because a five, six-person game, you know, how does that change that person's, you know, spot in the game? I think that's a very good point, but I think also still, even in a game that big, you're always going to have those people that are fearful of the of that guy that's playing mono blue, and they're going to gun for him first. And I think my main question is, is that even really warranted? I mean, shouldn't we as a player base focus more on who is the threat at the table, not necessarily what our perception of them might be? Because you never know when that blue player might have just grabbed his best friend's deck the night before they headed over. That's true. If you're a true friend, you're not going to hand someone who doesn't, doesn't know how to play the deck a blue deck like that, though. Um, you know, but I, I think you're right. Player, it is incumbent upon players to identify who the real threat is, um, and that's a that's a skill that you need to develop over time. You know, so. And especially if you play with the same play group over and over again, because you're going to reach a point where regardless of what color somebody is playing or regardless of what deck style they're playing, you're going to be able to tell when they're going to do something. I've played with some guys I've literally known 10 years. So I, I've been around them enough when we've been playing games, whether it's Magic, Monopoly, or whatever, when I know they're going to do something dastardly. Especially when the, one of them starts flicking his nose. Like, I always know when he's actually cheating because he'll start constantly picking out his nose. It's the most disgusting thing ever, and oh, thank God he's wearing sleeves on his cards. But anyways, so I almost think that pe- po- learning politics rather than color fear is the most important part of EDH. Because I think that will win you more games than being able to pace around the strength of somebody's colors. Um, I, I don't know. I, I, I think being able to identify the dangerous general at the table is an important thing as a baseline. You know, when someone sits down with you know their you know and a general who is Arkham Daxum, Shroom the Hedgehog, right. you know. Uh, is Ruffellos still banned? Uh, Ruffellos is banned as general, yes. Yes. So, um, you know, uh, who's one of the white quick, uh, let's say, uh... Kemba's Regent, the new one that came out of Scars with the artifact ability? Yeah, maybe that one. I I was thinking of, uh, uh, Hound of Conda, uh, Isamara, Hound of Conda. Oh, who let the dogs out, yeah, that's a Yeah. If, if, if someone sits down with that general, you need to know they're gonna they're gonna start beating down immediately. You know, just like if someone sits down with uh, Ashling the Pilgrim, you know, you need to recognize the fact that it's entirely likely most of their deck is lands, and that they're going to wipe the board whenever they feel threatened. True. You know, so and 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 you can tell these things already from the beginning, from you know just by looking at what's there. Ooh man, I need to get a cloth to put my uh, in in my uh, Ashling the Pilgrim deck. No, you don't. You just need ninety nine mountains, or or if you want to be really techy, you could add one Tectonic Edge, one Strip Mine, and one Wasteland. They'll never see it coming. Um, actually, I'm getting techy by adding one Valcut. Ooh, that is pretty techy. 
I'm thinking about adding one Valcut, maybe one expedition map um, to go be able to search up the Valcut. So you, maybe there's like two of them now. Um, and, uh, you, you know, but and then I was thinking about maybe just a couple other spells that are higher, um, you know, damage to mana ratios. But I think a Koth, a Koth would be great since it's all mountains anyway. And a Red Sun Zenith, definitely. That is possibly one of my new favorite casual cards. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you put in those, like, five extra cards or whatever, and there you go. It adds a little variety. See, so. you know, when people listen to this podcast, they get to listen to how innovative we're being live on the air, and I, I really think they come to respect us more, don't you? No. No, yeah, no. <laughs> the amount of hate mail I get after years of being on this network, no. I, I will realize I am respected when I get one email that says, dude, you're awesome, thank you. Now, be fair, you've gotten emails that say that you're awesome already. So, Oh, yeah. I, I will say that when I actually was thinking about leaving podcasting completely, um, our listeners were really over the top and amazing. And they came out, and they were far more supportive than I ever thought they were going to be. We really have some incredible listeners, actually. And our listeners are so incredible that if they want to send me $5 each, I will accept that. As I'm starting college in the fall, and I would really, really like the help. See, you plug yourself on Monday Night Magic. This is me plugging myself now. That I, I hate to break it to you, uh-huh. but uh, my my listenership is not nearly as vast. There's a reason why I plug my show there <laughs> and not that <laughs> show here. <laughs> oh, okay. So plugging my blog is a bad idea. But but back back to the yeah. Stuff that, your hand. blog is not the kind of thing. For my podcast, I'm much more PG than PG-13. I think it's educational. I think when people read The Bitter Better Man, which you can read at jackfromnc.tumblr.com, which that wasn't a plug. Give me that. That wasn't a plug. I I think people educate not only themselves, but their bodies as well. I really do. I, I'm almost doing them a favor. 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 Yeah, there we go. Favor. Uh, what Jack forgets is that I am the one who has the editing powers. And you're also the king of plugging shows, so no matter how often I plug this, I will never top your own plugging capabilities. <laughs> that is true. And you are so subtle with it. Like, there are times I don't even know I'm in an infomercial until I'm walking through the podcast because we actually film this live on location in a studio somewhere, I swear. And Eric is, like, wearing a polo shirt and a little microphone around his head, and he just hands me, like, a sham wow, and I walk around, and he tells me more about Koth the Hammer. Yeah. Think- it, it, the the trick is is that I genuinely, genuinely care about the things I'm talking about. So when I plug the Mana Pool, which you should go listen to, um, I do it because I like their show, you know. And, and when I say that... If you're old enough to withstand curse words and sexual innuendo, Jin's Playground is a, a show that is well worth it. Um, or if you know, you're immature enough to appreciate the finer points of such things, you definitely need to go listen to it. Yeah, it's uh, you know I, I do that because because I actually believe in what I'm talking about. You know, I I don't I'm not going to go plug something that I I don't I don't think is right. You know, so I mean, Star City Games was great to me when I went to their their open series in St. Louis, and gave me a lot of open access and whatnot. And I and I think they run an absolutely stellar, um, stellar open series. So you know, if there's one nearby, I recommend going and checking it out. But I want to tie that back into what we're talking about with the Blue Generals. Okay, if you go play EDH. Okay, watch this, folks. This is the man at work. This is how subtle he can be. If you go play EDH at a Star City Games Open or a Grand Prix or anywhere else where they're giving out prizes for the EDH game, okay, bring your baddest, meanest deck you have, the one stuffed with all the combos that you don't want to pull out on your friends because you want them to stay your friends because... You're going to need it. Yeah, when you play that first game it for prizes for $5 or $10 or $20 of store credit or whatever it is they're giving out, you're going to see Arkham Daxum. You're going to see Azumi, Lady of Scrolls. You're going to see the meanest, 
generals that are allowed to sit down at the table, and you're going to have people who are going to play cutthroat, no holes bar, combo you out on turn three the entire table. And I think the best illustration of this is um, I've actually tried in the last couple of months to try a variety of generals. And for a while there, I was actually playing uh, Nath of the Guilt Leaf, which in of itself is actually a very competitive general. It's a very strong deck if you build it properly. Um, but I didn't have the best tuned deck. And a friend of mine was playing MAGA, Trader to Mortals, and we sat down with two other guys. Uh, one of them was playing Thraxamundar, and the other guy was playing, I think it was a Memnarch. Now, folks, immediately noticed right off the bat the difference in the strength of the generals. The two other guys were playing significantly stronger decks, right? Memnarch, one of the- warning alert, Memnarch. <laughs> there's a Memnarch alert in your area. Please beware. <laughs> B- please beware that there's somebody playing blue at your table. Yeah, this goes right back exactly what we were saying. The guy who's playing blue at the table, you need to keep an eye on him. But let's n- not underestimate the importance of blue splash as well. For the guy that was playing Thraxamundar, due to the fact that he was splashing and he got access to things such as Is It Cronarch and other recursionable cards like that, took infinite turns and won the game. So if you are going to sit down to one of these tables, don't just think it's going to be a bunch of guys sticking around and playing EDH. And, I mean, we are overestimating a bit. You're still going to be able to sit down and have fun. The conversation I had with these gentlemen was just amazing. Well, but he, when I did this, what happened was we sat down, um, and in complete honesty, there was another guy I was at the table with who was a friend of mine, um, who I was like, look, we win, we split. Okay, sounds good. Okay, I know that's a little dirty. That's actually what me and my friend were doing. We sat down, I was like, look, dude, I don't know you, I'll subtly look after you, but I can't carry you. And it was a very nice gentleman's agreement. Yeah, I mean, but, uh, you know, the other guy who sat down was uh, um, Arkham Daxum, and then there was another powerful general who I don't recall. I think it was uh, Kaga Trader to Mortals. And, uh, and, and Arkham Daxum won it, and he's like, we were talking afterwards, and he's like, yeah, I, sat, I came to one of these things with a casual deck one time and got my, my rear handed to me. And so, uh, you know, so when I go play with he's like, do you want to play for funds now? So he puts away his mean competitive deck and pulls out his fun EDH deck. And we had a great time playing a fun game of EDH where everyone put away their nuclear weapons. You know, <laughs> you put down your sword, and I'll put down my rock, and we'll try to kill each other like civilized people. Like <laughs> God intended. Oh, oh I, I had the same thing happen um, about a year ago when I was in Charlotte. The guys from Scrubland had put together a unicorn EDH deck, okay? And they literally did it as a troll on the EDH community because uh, D-Cells and the rest of the guy just co- guys just couldn't figure out why anybody would want to play EDH. And so it was me, I think, D-Sales, and a guy that was playing uh, Yor the Gitu, which is another general you need to look out for, and some guy playing um, Ulam, uh, Ermercool as his general back when it was unmanned. And so we're all sitting there, and the funniest part about this was D-Sales was actually doing the most damage at the table because all of his unicorns costed, like, one or two each. So he had, like, six guys out, and he would just was just alpha-striking people. It was hilarious. But... uh of course, like, you had the Kozlik guy who was trying to get out his colorless stuff as fast as he could, and you had the Yor the Gitsu guy who stalled on one or two lands, but he just kept sitting there, and he was just suspending stuff and suspending stuff and suspending stuff. And, Eric, I am i don't think I'm the most hated man in Magic. I don't really think I've earned that title. So I was naturally sitting in my corner playing Sharoom, letting nobody know that I was actually doing anything. And I comboed off on everybody and removed their decks from the game. And... The look on people's face when I did that, I mean, it, it was priceless, but at the same time, it was horrible. And I was talking with D-Cell afterwards, and I was like, man, I feel bad. Look, let's let's just play a casual game. And he stomped my arse so bad. <laughs> but, I mean, it, it was it was so hilarious. I mean, it was it was absolutely revenge for everything that I had done to him that game. But I took it like a man. You know, it, it was worth it. Well, and so, I mean, that brings us to why do people play EDH? And I think the the reason why some of the the blue players sometimes play EDH is a little bit different than than most the rest of the folks in the format. You know, part of the reason why you're playing EDH is you probably want to play in a casual environment. Now, I understand this is not going to work for um, everybody. You know, not everyone is, but I think for the vast majority of the people who play the format, they're looking to play something in a casual environment where you're going to be, you know, just 
some degree competitive because you're still trying to win the game. But on the other hand, you're, you're keeping it casual. It's supposed to be light and fun. And they want to see big things happen. You know, I mean, that's what all EDH, great EDH stories come down to, right? And then the guy used his Echo Mage to copy my Cruel Ultimatum, hit me and the other guy with the Cruel Ultimatum, and on the last card he drew from his copy, he hit Redirect. When he hit Redirect, <laughs> he redirected the copy from him to the other guy. <laughs> True story. <laughs> Those are the best kind that come out of EDH. You know, I mean, so that's that's why people play, you know, EDH. It's it's the stories, it's the big things that happen. It's it is it's those things. Those are the things that that drive um, people's desire to play EDH most of the time. Um, you know, so I, I think you know. I, I like to read Sheldon Mennery's articles on Star City Games where he talks about um, EDH and he talks about his shop has, the shop he goes to has a league that they play in and they get points for doing all kinds of crazy things. Now some of the points are derived off of eliminating people from the game, but you can also get negative points. Like if you destroy all somebody's lands, um, you get negative points. Um, and, and things of that nature as well. So the idea is the point system is supposed to be there to help encourage people to have fun. But if you listen to how he tells the game, how he tells the game, Sheldon is obviously a technically proficient player. Uh, he's a level five judge, so he understands the rules. You know, he understands complex interactions, and he. I mean, he plays a mean game of EDH. He understands how to play politics, too. Um, and I tell you what, if I ever sat down with Sheldon Mennery playing EDH, you guarantee, I guarantee you that he is going to have the target. Now, I'm not going to necessarily announce immediately that he has a target from me, but he's going to have a target because he knows how to work the format. And and with a photo like the one he uses for his article in Star City Games, how could you not be intimidated? Well, I mean, it's so serious. He he just he has his arms crossed, and it's like he's piercing into your soul. That's because he's a level five judge and is trying to give that kind of impression off. Oh, yeah. kind of like when Medina had his Terminator photo up. I liked Medina's Terminator photo better than his current photo. But his but his new photo reflects him better because it's so just happy and lighthearted and goofy. Yeah, kind of like John Medina. Who didn't didn't return my tweet about whether he had uh, uh, say or uh, or Hannah? So and so we're, we're saying that that's a legit complaint. That uh, he didn't return my tweet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. You, you know it's a Medina's legit always, complaint to me. It was my and, tweet. And, no, you know how <laughs> Medina's always. Uh, I'm such a bamf ampersand legit. Yes. Yeah, so definitely, Medina, there's your legit plug and legit dismissal. <laughs> Actually, you know, what I've, you know, I, I may give you a hard time. He, First of all, I hit him up during the middle of the day, and he works. So I'm sure he doesn't have all of his, his you know, stuff memorized off the top of his head. Oh, come on. The only guy that's on Twitter more than him is Dr. Jeebus, who we also like. Please don't get angry, angry with us, Jeebus. <laughs> um, look, it, it just because just he's on Twitter doesn't mean he's not at work <laughs> and doesn't have access to all of his cards. I doubt well, he... That, you know, that, he that's, that's very true, because I'm usually on Twitter when I'm supposed to be working. So anyway, he... Uh, you know, so I mean, he probably didn't know if he had the cards off the top of his head, um, and that that obviously played into it. And then the man probably gets more tweets than you or I do get in a month. So uh, hey, all 188 of my followers that aren't spam bots try to talk to me at least every other week. Exactly what I was saying before. <laughs> so if my tweet got lost in there, that's fine. Whatever. Keller Reed got back to me that he didn't have to say, and uh, but. Uh, I'm going to plug the guy who's going to sell me one because that's how I... There's a plug. Yes. As soon as I find the uh, the tweet. So the Sundry. The Sundry has uh, has Captain Sisse's in, uh, in stock. 
Uh, he'll probably have one less by the time you watch, by the time you listen to this, uh, because I plan on ordering one tonight. And, uh, he was kind enough to tweet me and said, Hey, I got them. Here's a link to where you can buy them. So, which smart business. I figured I'd put it on Twitter eventually. Someone's going to tell me they had them. <laughs> yeah. You, you know, isn't it amazing that Twitter has made it so that no matter how far your hand has to go, you'll always be able to find some cards somewhere that you can actually get your hands on? I tell you what, probably the most fun thing for me was when I was editing my cube list um, at like 1 o'clock to 3 o'clock in the morning one night um, in preparation to cube the next day. Um, I, I was snapping pictures of this version or that version. The... You know the the black border original soul ring or the new from the vault soul ring. You know which one do you prefer? You know and 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 people would tweet me back. I like this one because of that. I like this one because of that. You know, and uh, it was it was really great to have these people's input because here I am. I'm sitting in my living room with a card table with my sections of cube laid out on it, trying to figure out which which version of the card I think would, would be better off in looking in the cube, or, you know, which card should I cut, you know, I'm going to add this card in, should I cut this or that, you know, and, uh, you know, getting people's opinions on which cards are good and groaning at the fact that, you know, I have five cards in the new set that I'm, you know, I'm like, pick one. <laughs> and they're like, they should all be in your cube. <laughs> and like, <laughs> and so, Jack, like my cube is uh, 720 cards. I have enough to support uh, two eight-man tables. Uh, and see, cubing is just one of those like weird, bizarro, like other languages when it comes to magic. I have never actually cubed, if you can believe it. <sighs> if we ever end up at the same event, we we must play cube. Uh, uh, Eric, I will gladly connect my cube to your cube any day of the week, sir. <laughs> um, it is it is the most. I, I, I know. You play EDH and you think that's fun, and I think EDH is fun as well. But Cube is the most fun format in the entire world. But no, see, EDH is like a crack addiction. And that, sure, that first month or so that you're playing it, you're flying high as a kite, and you're enjoying yourself off of how much fun you're having with it. And then three years later, you have an all-foiled-out deck that is top of the line, but the government's come and taking your baby. <laughs> That's what EDH is really like. It, it's exactly like a crack addiction. But I imagine cubing's not really like a crack addiction if it's that joyous. Uh, no, I mean, if you're the owner of the cube, it can be. Um, once again, like my EDH decks, I try to build my my cube off of stuff I have. Um, oh, but it's so hard to do, and especially when some of the really you know, good cards are like a buck. The, the reason why my moniker is Mr. Suitcase. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I've heard this story before. It's it's not hard to do. <laughs> so instead of just being the the uh, the taker, you're actually the pusher as well, is what you're telling me. No, not so much I, I, I pushed cards on someone else, but like the reason I originally built my cube was because I had a bunch of you know, alpha through whatever the current set was, cards that just weren't getting used that I like, that I want to play with every once in a while. And, you know, like, how often do I crack out the memory jar? Well, you know, not that often. But now it sits in the cube, and whenever I get the cube, it has the ability to come on out, you know. And, uh, you know, so that's it. And, and of course, I love my cube because it's tailored towards what I like. So there's good beat down in it. There's good combo in it, and there's some control too. I mean, it, I've I've worked pretty hard to try to neuter the graveyard some because my cube was living out of the graveyard all the time, and and the person who had the graveyard deck oftentimes won. Um, but like one of my favorite favorite cube drafts where I was successful was I drafted Illusions Donate. You know, so I had Illusions of Grand, I had Donate, I had Liliana Vess, I had Demonic Tutor, I had, you know, some other counter spells. So I had, I mean, I I didn't win a game. I, I, I'll tell you that. I won one game where I wasn't winning with Illusions Donate. All the rest of the games I won, and I, I think I won every match I played, was Illusions Donate. So what you're really saying is that Cube is sort of like EDH, but actually more fair and enjoyable. 
Well, I mean, it's a draft, so what's better than picking the cards that you're going to put in your deck, you know, right before you go build your deck? Having Anna Kornikova pick the cards for your deck. Only you just said what's better. You didn't place any stipulations upon it. I mean, if we're going to talk stipulations here, I mean, I can come. I'm sure I can come up with something off the top of my head. I think drafting is one of the best formats, and there's nothing better to draft than a, than a, an interesting cube. So, actually, I think draft is one of the most fair formats. I think that's a better way of talking about draft because uh, it, it's much more dependent upon your skill. Uh, it. it Probably so. I mean, definitely one of the reasons. I mean, I understand how drafts work, so I mean, that's got to be one of the things that makes it enjoyable and fun for me. But yeah, I mean, draft is. I, I think it's one. Of, it's a great format, you know. But anyway, that is neither blue nor EDH. So yeah, we have wandered so far off the point. We're going to need a roadmap to get back. Perhaps we, would, we should crap our crap. Ah, crap our yeah. There we go. We're going to have to edit that out too. We should crack our expedition map. Ooh, that was another plug. See, I'm I'm slowly learning from you, Eric. I hope that one day I can be as subtle and suave as you are with your plugs. Well, first of all, it helps if you don't point out the plug every time it happens. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> one, one of the biggest impediments to my smooth and suaveness is now that whenever I make a smooth or suave segue, someone goes... Let's call you out on it, yes. Look how suave that segue was. <laughs> it's like... Well, see, you, you shouldn't look at it as an impediment. You should actually take that as, yay, that's that's bland ego stroking in my favor. And if there's anything I know, Eric, it's ego stroking. Yeah, who doesn't like to have their ego stroked? Um, yeah, so I think what it comes down to it is that you, you see I, blue, blue mages get the reputation that they have um, because they're the blue mage. And... For the most part, that means something. And what it means is you want to say no to people. You're just a bad human being. No, you're not a bad human being. It just means you have a particular play style you enjoy, and, and the blue play style is something that can be pretty abrasive to people. I and mean, what do people hate most in magic? Not being able to have something resolve. Yes, and so the first way that that is absolutely bad is that you don't even get to cast a spell because your land was all destroyed. And the second thing that is horrible is I get to cast my spell, but it never reaches play because that guy over there keeps telling me no. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's it's fine. You know, if I can get my Dark Steel Colossus into play, that's great. And if you swords to plowshare, well, at least it made it to play. But isn't that so interesting, though, that we are absolutely okay with getting our stuff blown up and removed? But if you counter it, we're suddenly like, dick. Yeah, it it is. Uh, it, it is. It is an interesting piece of psychology with people that way. You know, I, we forgot one other huge part of the blue pie that uh, probably plays into its most hated color in, in Magic Roll. And I, I was, it came to me because I was looking at my floor and I saw Vidalcan Shackles there. Oh, uh, yeah. This is what I, exactly what I meant by the stronger Stranger cards earlier, actually. Yeah, so Vidalcan Shackles, for those of you playing at home, uh, was came out in the original Mirrodin block in Darksteel. Uh, you know, that fair and balanced set dark steel. The <laughs> uh, Velcan Shackles is three colorless mana to cast. It's an artifact. And you may choose a, 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 a you may choose not to untap Velcan Shackles during your upkeep, uh, untap step. Pay two and tap. Gain control of target creature with power less than or equal to the number of islands you control as long as Velcan Shackles remains tapped. This is one of the reasons people hate blue. Even though this card is not a blue card, it's a blue card. And you find that a lot of artifacts fall into the their blue cards too. But then you have bribery, you have your control magics, you have your Videlkin shackles, you have all of these cards that say, Oh, I like what you have, I want it to be mine now. And it's not red, which is like, I like what you have. I'm going to take it for a turn, beat you in the head, and then maybe blow it up or I'll give it back. Blue is an extremely is... unkind color, even more so than black. 
I mean, at least black just kills things. Blue does take it from you. Yeah, blue's usually like, by force. Ooh, pretty toy. I'm going to go borrow that for a little while. You can have it back when you die. <laughs> exactly. Like that, I think that's the main problem people have with it. Is It's not just the psychology. It's not just the strength of the cards. It's that it's a vicious cycle. The cards encourage that baseline psychology that we have towards the blue mage. Well, so, yeah, you look at each color and what are their weaknesses. So we'll start with green. For one, one of the things green cannot do is green has a really hard time removing creatures. Okay? So that's a big inherent weakness in green. Well, um, I think actually being able to draw cards, especially when you're specifically talking about EDH, is a bigger issue for green. Because green might not have creature kill, but it has permanent removal, which is a much bigger deal. Well, yeah, but I mean, one of his weaknesses, yeah, it, it is also not a very good card growing color. But it, it, one of his major weaknesses on the color pie is it's not supposed to have a lot of spells that kill creatures. Right. So there, there's just it's thing. the it's the creature color. Yeah. Exactly. So white, white, white is kind of like I don't know. I think white is turning into the new blue. They keep shoving things into white, but white wants to be fair and balanced. So if you're going to make white do anything for you, you have to find a way to unbalance the balance. So there's there's work that goes into getting around the stuff. You know, it also. Yeah, I mean, so that, that's where white kind of comes in. So it's great spot removal and strong cards, but I mean, what could we say right off the bat other than the balancing would be a weakness for it? Yeah, I think that's the main thing is the, is the balance. You know, most of whites, you know, even its removal, like its oblivion rings and and things, those are enchantments that remove stuff. It's power and somebody, yeah. So it, you know, it's you know, so the enchantments are able to be removed and your guy comes back. You know, and uh, oh, I have an interesting story about that. I'll tell in just a minute. Or I'll tell it now. Um, I had uh, cube draft. We did. Uh, we actually did cube sealed uh, when I played, and I had. Um, Oh, the O stone out. So it costs like three to cast and four to put a fake counter on a guy and five to blow up the world, except for things with fake counters on it. So I play it. I plan on putting a fake counter on my Oblivion Ring, which has a dude, uh, uh, my opponent's dude trapped underneath it. And then the guy plays Coalition Honor Guard. Do you know this card? No. Okay, it is awesome. It's four mana. Okay, it's a white and three colorless mana for a 2-2 that has the flag bearer ability. If a spell or ability can target the creature, the flag bearer, it has to target the flag bearer. Oh, gosh. So now, if I put a, want to put a fake counter on any of my permanents, I have to target... The flag bearer. <laughs> so now I so can't save any of my stuff. Blown it up. Actually, it's not two two. It's a two four. So yeah. So I, I, I was I was waiting for the second red burn spell or for my flame tongue kavu to come out, and it never did. And I ended up having to blow up the world, and he gets a creature out of it because I couldn't target the uh, the freaking flag bearer. So yeah. <laughs> Anyway, so I mean, the, but you know, so white has you know, it, it's that balance issue of you know, I have an enchantment. I'm gonna put your guy under that. I'm gonna get you gain life. I'm gonna get you get a land. You know, whenever you kill something with white, you're usually getting some sort of benefit, or you know, it, it, it's not as, or you have to balance it out with everyone has to do the same thing. Wrath of God, all your creatures die, all my creatures die. It's it's all fair, you know. So. You know, white, fair and balanced like Fox News. Um, oh, come on. <laughs> I just couldn't, couldn't pass the opportunity to tweak some folks there. If, um, white, if white was as fairly balanced as Fox News, the players to the right of you would always be falling off the table because they were too heavy. Have, have you ever been hit by balance? Oh, many times. Yeah, fair and balanced like Fox News. <laughs> oh, okay, actually, I take that back. Yeah, that, that was... <laughs> You get a clap for that, Eric. So, uh, uh, and I'm a Republican, so there you go. Um, <laughs> but uh, anyway, where was I going with this? So, so next color up will be black. Well, black cannot remove enchantments. It cannot remove artifacts. So if you have an enchantment or an artifact, black is just SOL. Okay, I mean, red. Red is the color of haste. 
And I don't just mean guy comes in and attacks. I mean, well, I'm going to go steal your guy, but then you get him back after I steal him. Um, I'm going to give you the choice. You can either take five in the face, or I can draw three cards. But you get to choose. Choose the one that is worst for me. As I'm holding this gun to your head. <laughs> so, I, this is this is red. I mean, they don't have staying power. Oh, I have a four-power guy who comes down on turn two and then comes back to my hand. <laughs> I have a six-power guy with one toughness, and even if you don't block him, he's still going to die at the end of the turn. But, but they do get cool toys every now and then, like Galvanoth. I keep waiting for somebody to break that thing in half. Yes, they do get other cool toys. Like they're they're also the, the 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 color of randomness and things like uh, warp world and fun stuff like that. So I mean, yeah. But as far as weaknesses goes, it is the temporary color. Yeah, I can agree to that. Now, what's blue's weakness? It oh, I have blue's weakness is I have trouble dealing with permanence, right? I just I except that I can I can bounce them, or I can steal them, counter them, and then oh, when you recast them, I can counter them. Oh, so where's my weakness again? Well, I think it's also like I said, very important to note that blue just gets more card advantage. I mean, when you have one card that can draw you two cards, or at least scry two off the top of your deck, that's a really big deal. That's two dead draws you might not encounter. It is, and and I mean, this is the root of blue, right? The root of blue comes down to card advantage and and things of that nature. And it, you know, I get to I get to counter your spell and draw a card. You know, and one of the things that blue has traditionally had a problem with is wizards, even when they try to make blue the worst color in Magic, has a really hard time doing that. Um, you know. When they made the cycle of incarnations in Odyssey Block, in Judgment, right? right? You had the white one. It gives everybody first strike. Seems pretty good. The green one gives everybody trample. Uh, that's pretty good. The red one gives everyone haste. Okay, that's, that's a decent ability. The black one really stunk. Gives everyone swamp walk or something. I mean, it was bad. Filth was a bad card. Um, filth was practically filthy. Oh, yeah, I was avoiding that. <laughs> um, and then there's the blue one. Well, now all my guys can't be blocked because they fly. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> you know, it's like trample. Okay, you can stack your guys up in front of them and try to absorb most of the hit. Okay, that's great. First strike. Well, yeah, you, you can kill my guy, you know, with your first strike ability, but, you know, I at least get to step in the way, so I have a couple turns to try to find an answer. Okay, let's let's play the blue card. Wander goes in the graveyard. All my guys fly. I now hit you. You're dead. You don't get Aww. another turn. Yes. Sad. Oh, and if you did have one or two flyers, I'll bounce those. <laughs> Boomerang to the rescue. Yeah. So uh, Aether Snap really was the was the uh, bounce spell at the time, right? I'm holding Aether Snap and Wonder in my hand. Have another Aether Snap in my graveyard. Go ahead and bounce your two guys. Pitch Wonder. My guys fly. Come over, kill you. Game. Yep. So I, I mean, this is and and mind you, I like blue. I understand why it is the way it is, you know. And for recent sets. They've done a much better job of balancing blue out. I mean, blue I, I wouldn't now, say necessarily that they've done a much better job of it. I think they're just smarter in how they deal with it. Because it's like you were saying, blue is one of those colors you really have to be careful about. Because if you give it too little, it becomes the weakest card in the format. Regard, like, And by format, I mean like standard and non-eternal formats. And if you give it too much, all you get is two years of everybody bitching about it. Yeah, but I mean, look, they they don't print remand anymore. They don't print mana leak uh if there are other good counter spells in the format. You know, you don't you, you don't have the, you know, the easily spa- splashable counter spell. So if you're going to play heavy counters, you have to play all blue now you, or you get to wreck your mana base, which that's good because it means other play other colors get to play. Um you know, yeah, so they have the best card in the game, Jace the Mind Sculptor. You know, okay, that's fine. It's going to happen. You know, he's the, the second best card player. in the game, which would definitely be Mana Leak or Preordained, depending on how you look at it. 
Yeah, I mean, but that's going to happen with blue. I mean, it's just it's the way it is. But the thing is, is that you know when you when you look at like I'm going to talk about standard right now. So if you look at the standard format as it is right now, yeah, the blue cards. Jace is a support spell for the blue-white decks that are going on right now. The real powerful spells in those are the white ones. Squadron Hawk gives you card advantage. Uh, and your uh, Mystic. Stoneforge Mystic. Thank you. Stoneforge Mystic is a white spell that's fetching you up broken equipment. You know, And it used to be blue got to fetch up the broken Artifacts, and let's not forget about Gideon Yura as well. He's also relative in many matchups with Blue White. He keeps your Jace alive, which is a very big deal. Or he fogs you every turn while your little hawks carry the Sword of Feast and Famine to untap your mana over and over again. So, yeah, I mean this is this is an example of where hey, look, White's the new Blue right now, which is cool. Yeah, I mean, and. The important thing to stress here is, especially in formats such as Standard and Extended, when it comes to the colors, everything goes in cycles. I mean, there was a point where Mono Black was actually a real deck with Corlash. And there's been, you know, Mono Green Eldrazi has been wrecking some Standard tournaments this last couple of months. Uh, Coldaltha Red, just to talk about new decks, was making it big there for a while. Everything goes in cycles, and eventually, while blue is very strong right now, when they get rid of Jace, what is blue going to have? It'll be a support color again. It'll it'll have to be another support color, right? And you're still probably going to have white being probably the most dominant color in standard. But then eventually, white's going to fall, and it'll be black or green or red or any of the other ones. Well, and so bringing this back to EDH, one of the reasons why blue is so strong in EDH is you're talking about how things go in cycles. Well, the blue didn't start to get weakened very often until more modern sets. If you look back in time, blue historically has gotten the broken cards. The cards that slip through R&D and are more powerful than they think they should be end up being artifacts and blue. And what cards go in blue decks and EDH? Artifacts and blue. So you have at your disposal a wider variety of the most powerful spells and permanents in the game. And and that's where it comes down to it. Now, does it mean that you can't build a blue deck that plays more fair? No, it doesn't mean that at all. But you really have to keep an open mind towards it. And if you want to keep your friends when you're playing EDH... Keep a very open mind when building your deck. Yeah, I mean, now the thing is now, maybe your friends like to play Cutthroat. And if they if playing Cutthroat is what they enjoy, then go ahead and build your Arkham Daxum deck and, and throw Haymaker punches at each other and see who comes out standing. Because I'm not going to tell you that, you know, you don't have the right to build your Broken General deck. I'm just going to say... If you're playing with me, don't bring it. I want you to have a focused deck, but a deck that is going to that is focused on having fun and big effects. And see, while I can agree to that, I'm very much the opposite on that. I think there's a certain certain kind of like subtlety, and uh, I don't want to say elegance to having a finely tuned, very competitive deck. But it is something you can really appreciate when somebody goes off with a 99 storm count mind, mind's desire, for example, or like a 30 count Genesis wave. If we're going to talk about other colors, right? But if you're going to do that, I don't want you to be doing that on turn four. Or Eric will shoot you the most disappointing look he can possibly give. I just won't play with you. I mean, but, but Eric, this I, is the- I want to play with you there. I mean, like we so. If I bring my broken Shroom combo deck, are you saying you're just going to look at me disappointed, shake your head, and pack up your box? It depends. I mean, yeah, you probably get to do it one time. It's always fun to see those things go off one time. But if we're going to go play five or six games, you know, you know, in, in a row, I'm hoping you're going to bring out a deck that is, you know, something else. So uh, Arkham Daxon, Shroom, uh, Prison Karn, <laughs> or Ashling. You get your pick. Oh, wait, I do have Savra. Savra's <laughs> also a combo deck. 
Yeah, no. So, <laughs> I'll no let you chance. borrow one of mine. <laughs> oh, man, you mean there's no chance you or I are ever going to play Magic? Come on, Eric. Come on. I, I've allured the other guys onto Cockatrice. Surely I can get you on there as well, playing with me. Uh, probably not anytime soon. Oh, wah, wah, wah. Yeah, so do you have any f- other final thoughts for the... Uh, for the blue deck here, for the for the blue EDH talk? Well, I would just like to say that um, while it's very healthy to assume that a blue mage might be the most dangerous guy at the table, keep in mind that there's a lot of strong cards the other colors. Black has the most available, most, uh, excuse me, blah, I'm slurring my words over again. Black has the most tutors of probably any of the other colors. Red has the densest kill spells. Green has some of the strongest creatures, and white just likes to play fair with everybody, but you do get stuff like Armageddon. So while you're gunning for that blue guy, keep your eyes open and your perception readily available. You never know when that one guy playing, I don't know, like uh, Ashling or Hound of Conda or anybody else is just going to sneak up on you. So if you're going to sit down, be open-minded, don't always gun for the blue guy, and Politic, 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 politic. I cannot emphasize how important that is to an EDH game. You really need to be able to play off other people very well and make yourself less of a threat if you are the blue guy and be able to assess when you need to attack certain players if you're anybody else. Yeah, so some good things to do if you do happen to be the blue mage, right? Um, Play little Jace. Let everybody draw. Yeah, because in all honesty, especially in a when you get into the much bigger EDH matches like six and eight man, I hate to say this, but people drawing cards in EDH is also is almost irrelevant, especially when you are the blue guy, because you're almost always going to have that answer readily available because of your color restrictions. Yeah, then you know, play you know when you're going to go ahead and uh, you know counter someone's spell. You know, make sure it's the important one to counter, you know, that keeps the fun going. Hey, Don't take the bait. Go, uh, how about this? How about you bounce someone, uh, you bounce a guy who's going to go take somebody else out of the game, not just you, you know? So you keep someone else in the game for a little bit longer. That's right, also that's not, a bad, not a bad uh, politic move either because then that person feels gratitude towards you. Yeah, it's like I always tell my friends when we sit down together, yeah, taking me out is probably the bright idea, but you can't forget the toys I've probably got available in my deck as well that can help you. <laughs> you know, so I, I always take it as an honor when the table decides I need to be taken out ahead of time. You know, and, and I've I've been in that role before where I, you know, Eric's always playing the broken deck, better take him out first. Okay, well, I've obviously obviously earned that reputation, so I'll I'll take it. So, if you were a supervillain, Eric, what kind of supervillain would you be? Um, the kind that stays in his lair and sends out his henchmen to do his work. So, so you're more of can... a you're more of a mega mind or a Doctor Doom kind of guy. Okay, I can live with that. Yeah, I can respect that. Yeah, yeah. It, you know, it is the uh, let's try to avoid putting myself in personal harm. Uh, okay, I, I can definitely see you as a Mega Mind or a Doctor Doom, and that works for me. Yeah. So, okay, well, uh, I think we've pretty well covered the uh, the subject we wanted to talk about. Um, you can find Jack on Twitter, and your Twitter is sir Jack Lacroix. But I should warn that if you're going to follow me on Twitter, that is also tied into my blog, The Bitter Better Man, which is definitely not safe for work about ninety nine point nine percent of the time. Yes, and if you're old enough where you have to ask your parents permission to do things, don't go there. Yeah, don't don't go to my blog. Definitely. <laughs> um, so if uh, if you want, if someone wants to email you, you know, various hate mails or complimentary emails, where should they send those? They should hit me up at jack at mtgcast.com. And I would also like to reach out to our listeners here on this wonderful podcast, Mr. Suitcase, which, Eric, it's been a great delight this evening getting to broadcast with you. And I would love to have a great delight broadcasting with other people. I'm really bored. School is not starting back until fall for me. So if anybody is looking for an extra neck beard around the microphone to help them with their podcast or is looking to get one off the ground, I would love to help you, so please hit me up at jack at mtgcast.com, or like I said, follow me on Twitter at Jack LaCroix. 
So uh, then you can reach me on the uh, various usual and sundry ways on Twitter. I'm the Watchman, T-H-E-W-A-C-H-M-A-N. Uh, my tweets are safe for work. Um, and uh, you can also email me at uh, eric, E-R-I-C, at mtgcast.com. And uh, those are, are the best ways to come uh, interact with me. Or if you want to leave comments in the comment section below the podcast here on MTGCast, uh, feel free. And uh, we'll definitely be uh, reading those and paying attention and responding to the emails I get on this. So, Especially if it's gratuitous butt kissing. We like butt kissing. <laughs> I, I don't need gratuitous butt kissing. Uh, I, I like honest discourse. So you know, I hope that you found what we've said uh, to be kind of of you know, a fair assessment of how things are. And if you think that we've missed out some vital points, uh, go ahead and drop them in the comments or send us an email. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. So thank you very much. Suitcase signing off. Adios, folks.